Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster. And I'm Kristen Zoltis-Anderson, Republican pollster. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we're back together again for the first time. In the same room. <laughs> I think this is the first time we've done this since August. Is that possible? I think that's true. Whoa. Yeah. So we apologize, guys. We've had some kind of like funky audio. And even today is not probably our best audio, but... We are at least in the same room using our gear. Yes. We are, um, we are at my house in my living room. Uh, so I've tried to, again, construct what I can out of like the fuzziest. With like a bear rug. Like a foofy, yeah. <laughs> like I got this bear. I, it's, my, uh, it's my dire wolf pelt. I wrap myself in it when I'm watching Game of Thrones. I got it for $20 it, at home. It goods, does kind of look like that. Amazing. It's amazing. Uh, so I'm trying to use that as our studio today. And I also apologize because we are doing this at my house. Uh, normally, I would be fully in control of any and all uh, distractions and things, but I have uh, – so my in-laws are coming to visit next week. They are lovely, and they are wonderful, and I cannot wait to see them. And Are they gonna, are they our surprise guests? They're not oh, – <laughs> surprise. Surprise, they're on the show. Uh, so they're not coming till next week, but I have put a little bit of pressure on myself to make the house – Yes. They're nice before they come because they've never I've been there. Before. No, they are lovely people. Yeah. We, I mean, they could walk in and we could be living in a horrible hellhole with nothing but like expired mayonnaise in the fridge and they would still be like, we love you guys. They're not. But that's nice. But that's. That's not what I want them to walk into. <laughs> so there is like a new you don't want them, room. You don't want to wa- have them walk today. into like our cords everywhere yeah. and <laughs> our when like Margie sound booth made out of rugs house, and there towels. There was a new like end table sitting on the front porch. I was like, oh, thanks, delivery guy, for now. I was like, I bet this is Kristen's house because there are more thing things outside. supposed to come today. So hopefully, and I don't have a doorbell yet. Well, we're here. It's not one of the things that this house had. Well, you have to be in charge because I have the headphones on. But so we (laughs) show folks, so we have, there's all sorts of cool things happening. Folks should go back and listen to our interviews we did with Mark Murray and Cornell Belcher. Those were super fun. I was talking to somebody the other day or yesterday and we were talking about this media consultant. I was like, you should make sure he listens to my interview with Cornell Belcher where I told this whole story of me getting into a fight with a media consultant when I was in my early 20s and that, <laughs> and that is your business partner. And I said it with love and f- fondness. So anyway, go back and listen to all, um, all of those. And Kristen and I have announcements soon. Not yet. I know we've been teasing them for a while, but they are coming soon. We promise they will be They'll be very soon. We they have will a be. home inbound. Yes. And 
you will not have to listen to us talking from uh, inside my living room anymore. Nope. So we have, yeah, we have cool things happening. So first, the top lines and some theme music from Kristen. R.I.P. Tom Petty. In this week's top lines, he won't back down. Or should I say President Trump's job approvals won't (laughs) go back down? (laughs) That was a terrible transition. I apologize to all of our listeners. But Mr. 40%, he's still Mr. 40%. We'll take a brief look at Trump's approval and then dig into some of the issues that have touched his administration this week, including... The response to the hurricanes that hit Florida, Texas, and most notably lately, Puerto Rico. We'll also talk about polling on Trump's tax plan. It's a framework, not a bill, but that doesn't mean we can't poll test it. Furthermore, we have all sorts of data around the issue of guns in America. It's an issue we've talked about on this show a lot. And with the tragic events from Las Vegas from the weekend, we will be diving into all of the data around where America stands on many of the issues that are specifically relevant to the Las Vegas situation. Um, We'll talk a little bit about some gubernatorial races here in the DMV area. Uh, And do campaigns matter? Do campaigns matter? We'll do a 2016 look back, the Stan Greenberg uh, indictment of the Clinton campaign, plus some new research from the academic world on whether campaigns matter. And last but not least, we have what I think is one of the most rigorous polls we've covered on this show, to be quite honest with you, (laughs) about National Boyfriend Day. (laughs) They get an award for on-topic pitch, for sure. (laughs) Um, But first, our poll of the week. So this is from the folks at the Chicago Council. Um, They uh, pretty regularly do polling on foreign policy. This uh, poll was covered in the Washington Post. As always, we link to these things. And and we'll see this come up in a, uh, later when we talk about guns, but it comes up here in this poll, which is a difference between Republicans who are not hardcore Trump supporters and more strong Trump supporters, that there's a real difference there. That's not a surprise, but it's interesting now. You know, we talk about how often we need to see polls broken out by party. Otherwise, you really have no idea what's going on. Now, maybe we have to see polls broken up um, with different kinds of Republican voters in order to see what's going on. Um, so you see a little bit about that here. There's some interesting questions about NAFTA and whether people think it's good or bad for the econ- economy, where uh, core Trump supporters and Trump Republicans are um, more likely to say it's bad for the economy than uh, than re- Republicans who are not necessarily Trump supporters. You see more diversion and party differences on things like globalization than maybe in years past. And then, of course, some, always some interesting questions on Russia, which always gets a get some press interest where you have core Trump supporters. 44% of Trump supporters say they have confidence in Russia to deal responsibly with world problems. Guys, guys. There's no tracking there, but it is higher. I guess this is not a surprise with other Republicans overall or than independents or Democrats. You have core Trump Republicans more likely to trust the United States than Democrats do, 96% versus 76%. But the Russian number... I don't know. The Russian number is pretty high. Yeah. The other thing that this poll does is it asks about engagement overseas in terms of the military. And in a way, I was somewhat surprised to see that the partisan differences on questions of when the U.S. should or should not justify, when is when it is or is not justifiable to use U.S. troops in other parts of the world, 
in some ways, these partisan differences were not that big compared to what you see on other questions. Uh, you know, to see a partisan gap of 10 points is like nothing. Right. And so on, on these questions, they asked, for instance, would it be justified to use U.S. troops to stop or prevent a government from using chemical or biological weapons against its own people? 73% of Democrats, 78% of Republicans, 80% of core Trump supporters say yes to that. That's a kind of an interesting way, uh, interesting finding in light of the belief, you know, that there's this sort of like the Steve Bannon part of the party that says, like, no, very isolationist, we shouldn't be getting involved, um, that core Trump supporters are the most supportive of doing something like using U.S. troops to prevent a government from using chemical weapons against its own people. Um, to deal with humanitarian crises, that's an instance when Democrats are a little more favorable than Republicans to using troops. Um, 76% of Democrats, 60% of Republicans, though, think that's a justifiable um, reason to use U.S. troops. Um, those numbers flip when you ask to fight against violent Islamic extremist groups in Iraq and Syria. A majority, but only 58% of Democrats would say they support that compared to 76% of Republicans. So a higher number there. Um, you get majorities supporting the use of U.S. troops um, among Democrats and Republicans for if North Korea invaded South Korea or if Russia invades a NATO ally. Uh, however, you see much lower numbers and significantly lower numbers among Democrats uh, with using U.S. troops if China initiates military conflict with Japan over disputed islands or if Russia invades the rest of Ukraine. I mean, I was interested in how specific these different types of engagements were described. I don't think You're I've ever... You're asking people to, like, put themselves on the National Security Council with this poll. I mean, like, I don't really think I've ever seen a question, advise. if China initiates a military conflict with Japan over disputed islands, I'm pretty sure I've never, ever seen a question on that. I'm going to have to start digging up some polls on, on South China I know, Sea. I know, everyone's going to everyone's gonna tweet, don't you remember waters? this, this poll my, from 1974? That'll, that'll be my poll of the week for next Week. That's right. Peter Shulman, the history opinion uh, Twitter account He's guy, probably has uh, has all that stuff in there. Anyway, so that's our poll of the week. Go check it out um, at the Chicago Council. Um, so Donald Trump approval ratings. We yeah. do our check in every week. This week it is at forty percent. Where was it last week? Oh, it was at forty percent. He's Mister Forty Percent. He loves to name things. Yeah. What if we started making this a thing, Mister Forty Percent? Mister Forty Percent. Would that make him mad? I don't know. I don't know how he'd feel about that. I mean, it seems like he's got a lot of other people he's mad at more. He would be mad at more than <laughs> the polls. Yeah, I was just saying, do we, do we want? And cut to a press conference. We never said that. You're going to wake up tomorrow. That morning, Donald Trump is Mr. 40%. Your, your notifications on the at the pollsters account are going to be ridiculous. Like, oh, no. No, we'll be blocked before any of that happens. Uh, but yes, he, Mr. 40% is still at 40%. And the, one of the big issues that um, I have wondered if it is going to weigh on his job approval in the long term, you know, folks have been talking about is the situation in Puerto Rico Trump's. Katrina, right? That this is a, a hurricane that has happened. These are Americans. Yep. Um, and yet only 9% have power. I mean, it's going to be months before. It is it is just unbelievable when you read about the situation there. And, you know, this the response um, in places like Florida and Texas has not come under, you know, widespread criticism. 48% say they approve of how President Trump has handled disaster relief. 
in U.S. states, um, with 76% of Republicans saying they approve. That's actually a little lower for Republicans than I might have expected. Mm-hmm. For Democrats, it's a little higher than I might have expected. It's hard to get more than 10% of Democrats to say they approve of anything President Trump does. But in this case, 30% said they approved of the job he did on the disaster. I can see that. I mean, you could see Democrats saying like, okay. I don't like all the other stuff he's doing, but. You know, I'll, I'll give you the, I'll get, you know, maybe there's a, some group that feels like, okay, I'm going to say, some, you know, this is my one positive thing I can say. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but Puerto Rico, then it goes back to kind of reverts back to our yeah, uh, typical findings only here. Only 62% of Republicans approve of Trump's handling of uh, Puerto Rico. Honestly, that's really high. I just don't know how you could possibly look at well, his so response yeah, it's, and it's, say, it's it heck is, of a job. It is high. If you really think that, you know, the paper towel t-shirt gun. This was before the visit. So this would have to be like the infographic. If you liked the infographic and that really spoke to you. Okay. Um, I think so. Conducted through October 2nd. Yeah. October 2nd was Monday. So. Okay. Um, But in this case, only 11% of Democrats approve of the job he's doing. So in in a way, the idea that only 62% of Republicans would approve of something Trump has done, I think short of like his tweets, I've I've not seen a number that low among Republicans disapproving of Trump. On the other hand, from your point of view, you know, 62% is that higher than – and that's among Republicans. Yeah. Among Republicans. Where there is less partisan divide is over the question of whether – the federal government has a major responsibility to help disaster victims in U.S. states. 84% of Republicans and 93% of Democrats say yes. A gap opens up a bit when you change it to U.S. territories. Democrats, there's a drop-off of about five points. Among Republicans, there's a drop-off of 15 points. I wonder yes what this would have been no before any of these Natural disasters, what, what would these numbers have looked like? Would they have looked like this before any of this happened, before you had? I, I would bet you that with the, I would bet you that when it, on the question of helping disaster victims, I don't think those numbers would have been so different. I do wonder what the gap between states and territories would Right, that's like. what I mean. And oh, do okay. you think before all this Michigas, would, the, would have there been a partisan gap on U.S. territories? Well, and I still think this is a, a question I have not seen polling on, but if any exists, please tweet it at us. How many people in the United States know that people from Puerto Rico are U.S. citizens? Like they can move right. to Florida and and they're citizens. Yeah. They can vote. It's, yep. They don't – they have American passport. You know, it's – I don't think people know that. No. The, the part of Orlando where I am from um, – is there's like a, a very large Puerto Rican population mm-hmm. and it has grown even, you know, since I've moved away and come mm-hmm. to Washington. Um, so not, not a surprise to me, but I think there are a lot of people that may just now be realizing, like, Oh, wait a minute, Puerto Rico, they, they are us citizens. Right. Right. <sighs> anyway. Okay. Well, um, hopefully folks get, um, you know, get all the support that they need. Soon. There was a, um, a, a fundraiser, fundraising effort I saw emerge on Instagram that I have not yet participated in and I'm debating if I should or not, um, where I think it was Nick Kroll, a comedian, went on one of the late night shows and said that to raise money for Puerto Rico, they would he would donate for every person who posts an embarrassing photo of themselves from like young adolescence <laughs> on Instagram with the hashtag puber me. And then if you do this, 
he or some charity will donate to Puerto Rico. And I'm like, is, is this for real? I don't know. Do people get, are they more likely to get involved if they're like, know. oh, well, I wasn't going to do anything for Puerto Rico, but now that all but I need to do. But now I'll just post this embarrassing photo. Like, now, I'm, I, now I'm interested. Now but. I'm interested. Yeah. Now I don't know. And so if folks want to, you know, speaking of the response, I was listening to this morning, Whistle Stop. I've talked about it a lot, the Whistle Stop podcast, which is John Dickerson, like really geeking out on presidential ephemera. And so he goes back to find, like, when was the first time a president was sort of the action hero president who went and visited a disaster, like, right after it happened and, you know, was the consoler in chief? That wasn't, you know, we haven't been doing that this whole time that America's been a country. That's a fairly, fairly recent phenomenon. So folks should take a listen to that because I thought that was pretty interesting topic that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't thought of. There's a whole area of research, right, on just that one topic. So folks should go check it out. Um, okay. So the tax plan, we've been joking about this now, uh, for a couple shows, like testing a thing that nobody knows about that doesn't really exist. Like I'm thinking of a number. Do you like this number or not? <laughs> well, this was, there was, I, I, I was laughing on, on Twitter this morning, you know, you get your trending topics. And one of my trending topics was Kevin Hassett, who is the, uh, AEI, AEI-er, who is now, um, the head of, President Trump's um, Council of Economic Advisors. I think he's a great guy. Appointing him was like one of my favorite things that President Trump has done. But he was on a panel where he was going after some groups that have kind of given a quote unquote score to the tax plan because it's not fully a bill. Like there's still things in it that are like, we still reserve the right to do something different with the right. top rate. There's still a lot of, you know, uncertainty out there. Um, but then the pushback was, well, we scored what you've given, you know, so this is a, right. even in the, like, how do you score legislation world? This yep. is a debate. Yep. Um, but for the moment, the numbers look okay for just the idea of proposing changes to the tax system. Yes. The numbers are not bad. No, I mean, I think this is like, you know, I don't want to say this is like good news, right? For the president. It's, it's just way too soon to tell. It's just not, you know, it's not like a, it's not as bad as his news sometimes is. And I think it's because, you know, it, it, I'm assuming it's not because people know the details of what's here other than they think, well, if Trump is doing it, then it's going to be some sort of cut, presumably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if, if you look, so Morning Consult asked, based on what you've seen, read, or heard, do you approve or disapprove of the proposal for changes to the tax system recently released by President Trump and Republicans in Congress? 47% approve, 37% disapprove, 15% don't know, no opinion. So it's net positive. It's almost halfway there to approval of something that doesn't even really concretely exist yet as a bill. So it's not starting off in too bad a place. Yeah. I mean, that, that all said, you still have, you know, Democrats feel more intense intensity than Republicans do. A majority of Democrats say they strongly disapprove. 37% of Republicans strongly approve. And then independents, you know, break out fairly evenly, but are more intense in their disapproval as well. A quarter strongly disapprove of independence, 14% of independents strongly approve. And this is, you know, has been, I don't want to say it's a heuristic, but a, you know, a cue or indicator in past cycles that we can look at this cycle. Obviously, independents are going to be in between D's and R's and on all these various kinds of metrics, but are they behaving more like Democrats or are they behaving more like Republicans? And this is, you know, perhaps 
an area where they're behaving a little bit more like Democrats because their intensity is with the disapproval. But, you know, I think obviously this is just the beginning of the conversation. This, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of time to have this conversation. We don't know how it's going to unfold in, in terms of the legislative process. Well, a conversation that is not a new conversation is the conversation around guns in America. And uh, we've talked a lot about it on this show. I know this is a very big issue for you, Margie, and you have a lot of feelings. <laughs> I right have a now. lot of feelings. I have a lot of feelings. So, okay. So I have a, you know, obviously I, I get so upset when these things happen there. And, and, it, and, you know, we talk about mass shootings, but there's gun violence every day. There's a mass shooting almost every day. We simply don't, you know, they're, they don't rise to the national consciousness, but there's, you know, tens of thousands of gun deaths every day. And this debate is endlessly frustrating um, in part because well, for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, one is you have such an overwhelming amount of support for stronger gun laws for a variety of specific stronger gun laws. The poll that, that we did that I've talked about on the show before for the group Guns Down, we tested 16 different proposals, all kinds of different proposals. 15 of the 16 had majority support, not just background checks. And 13 of the 16 had majority support within gun households. So it's not, you know, there's this myth that it's like gun owners versus not gun owners. It's actually a very small fraction of gun owners that are really driving this sort of anti-gun law debate. Um, the Pew poll, for, which was also from the summer, um, it's, uh, it's very in-depth and folks should take a look at it. They compare, um, NRA member gun owners to Republican gun owners who are not NRA members. And there's a really big, just like we were talking about the difference between Trump voters and non-Trump Republicans and foreign policy, you see a really big difference between different kinds of Republican leaning gun owners. It's not even that in and of itself isn't a monolithic group. And, the percentage of the United States that are NRA members and the self-report NRA members and gun owners is 6% of the country. I mean, it is not, you know, this massive group, but it, it, it does get an oversized amount of coverage. So, so those are, you know, those are the things that everyone's been talking about. I'm going to have a piece in the Hill that's coming up today. You know, it's not up right now when we're recording uh, on Thursday, but it should be up sometime later today that walks through like nine different things that folks on the left can use incorporate in their language to, you know, to take some action. Um, you know, how do you change how you think and talk about guns? And, you know, one of the things that got me really frustrated today, I know now I'm sort of <laughs> like on a tear with all this, um, a, and I really don't talk about other folks in the industry in a disparaging, I subtweet, but I don't, you know, really kind of go after people cause it's just not good for business or my blood pressure. Um, I mean, you know, if you know me, I, 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 it's not like I'm against gossiping, but like on the show or on social media, oh, it's I try not, not to gossip. do it. You're just naming <laughs> but names. now I'm really, now I'm really like upset about this piece by Doug Schoen in the Hill that, you know, first of all, is like more, says more nice things about Trump than about Clinton, Hillary Clinton, which is, you know, whatever. Like, I, I don't think you can call yourself a Democratic pollster anymore if you say, you know, at least Trump is trying while Clinton's political. Like to me, that just is so, you know, <laughs> misguided. But anyway, let, let's put that aside. 
the the phrase that he uses in there that I find so egregious is that, you know, it, I mean, he uses basically this like both sides kind of language that Trump got in a lot of trouble with after Charlottesville. He's basically using that in this gun piece saying, well, like, well, all sides are, you know, politicizing guns and nobody's able to come to the table with any kind of real solutions. Nobody has any real solutions. And to say that like the folks on, on the left who are fighting for stronger gun laws don't have any real solutions. I mean, even folks on the right would not say that. The Folks on the right say that folks on the left have too many solutions, that they want to keep on adding solution after solution until there are no more guns anywhere, right? That's what folks on the right say, the slippery slope argument. Nobody has said until I saw this piece this morning that Democrats ha- don't have any solutions. They're not proposing. And there's a group called Americans for Responsible Solutions. Like that's in the name, the Gabby Giffords group. Um, so I, I just find – you know, there's just a lot of misinformation on the right. I mean, uh, you know, I guess I now include Doug Schoen on the right. There's just a lot of, you know, the way people talk about what the left's problem is on guns, that the left has a problem, you know, that we don't know how to talk to people who are gun owners. We're, you know, we're out of touch culturally. And, you know, we, um, you know, we're just, our poll questions are wrong because, you know, people say one thing on the polls, but then they, you know, think something else when there's a ballot measure or whatever. I mean, that stuff is just not borne out by the data. I mean, there's, you know, there's been some real progress over the last few years since we've kind of reignited this battle between folks who want to keep the status quo or weaken our gun laws and those who want to make them stronger. And, you know, it, it requires some precision in terms of language and, you know, paying attention to the data, not just sort of blaming Democrats for, you know, what is a real, you know, real intractable political problem. So anyway, I'm going to get, I should probably stop talking about 10, 15 minutes, but it, it, it is something that I feel pretty strongly about, obviously. So there, there was a piece that was circulating um, on rightish side of the aisle circles. I, I actually tweeted out because I was fascinated by it, by a woman who had written for 538 who, um, Leia Labresco, I apologize if I've mispronounced her name, who she went in, they were writing a piece at 538 about like, okay, what are the things you can do to mm-hmm. reduce gun violence? And that, and she writes a piece about being sort of dismayed that there was not like one, you know, oh, if we do this one thing, this fixes everything. And I think it was getting shared around a lot, you know, by, by people like me because, you know, so take something like background checks, which polls have shown time and time and time and time again are extremely popular and people want them. And you will hear on the right, folks will say, well, but we already have background checks. You already have to have back. So there's, there is like the policy debate over what the status quo right. is or is not. But the, the, I think the thing that like really shakes me a lot about the Vegas situation is like, that guy would have passed a background check. He passed, you know, he's, right. he didn't have like, so. I think I have not read the shown piece, but it's there's this I think the you know, you look at this menu of all the different things that, you know, have been proposed, but you can see that like, okay, well, that one might have stopped this guy, but that one wouldn't have and that one, you know, and it's like that's I think the thing that just like makes me sick to my stomach is the idea that like okay, so you now have Republicans who are coming around to saying like things like bump stocks, the, right. the thing that enables a semi-automatic weapon to fire as if it is a fully automatic weapon that even Republicans are going, okay, let's, we don't need those. Right. That those are designed to get around an existing law. Right. The existing law that since 1986 has prevented people theoretically from getting automatic weapons. Yep. So, you know, like you're now seeing on the right this, okay, we get the slippery slope thing, but like really we should get rid of these guys. Really we should 
get rid of these things. Right. So I'm going to be fascinated to watch. There's no polling at the moment on like bump modifications, stocks and yeah. modifications. Um, there, I mean, there are polls on assault rifles, which my understanding of the definition of assault rifle is that it is a semi-automatic weapon that has two or more modifications, that that's like the technical. Mm-hmm. So if you take assault weapons polling as polling on modifications, we already kind of have some sense, but I, I don't, I didn't really know that until. Or high capacity magazines is kind of another comparable one, you know, where, right. you know, at least in terms of how people view it, it's part of this right. group, even if there are technical differences. Um, but the, the other thing, just from like a data perspective that I, th- I think is an instance of people getting the story wrong is on this question of like the NRA's influence and like a lot, I've seen a lot of posts about like, oh, so-and-so member of Congress took you know, $5,000 from the NRA. And thus they have been bought by the NRA. Right. Like over the last number of years, like the NRA spent $3 million on contributions to campaigns. And I hate to break it to everybody, but $3 million over the course of X number of years is actually nothing in like the world of politics and money. And that the NRA's influence is about the membership and the people who will get mad and call their members office much more so than like, Someone actually likes gun laws, but the NRA wrote them like a $5,000 check. I think there's a misunderstanding of how influence works in Washington that I've seen infused in a lot of discussion about the NRA. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, I think when you talk to folks about money and politics, people assume like, you know, there's a, you, somebody gives a bag of money. Yeah, like the dollar sign on it. They drop it off. And it's obviously more complicated than that. Um, uh, and, and I think you're right about the NRA and, and this does not to open up. And not to diminish the NRA's influence. They're clearly extremely influential. Or the corrupting power of money and politics either, right? So, so, but like for the the, folks who want to listen more about this, they're, um, the, the daily New York Times podcast that comes out on weekdays, they did a whole thing on like the history of the NRA's mobilization and how their membership surges whenever one of these things happens. Mm-hmm. They have a plan where they lay low because they don't want to like do something like within 24 hours of a mass shooting. So they lay low and then they wait for the right time and then they kind of surge their and, you know, goose their member, not goose, but like get their membership excited to, you know, get engaged and say, look, things are under attack. Uh, your rights are under threat. And that's how their, their membership retains its enthusiasm. And this is true, not just with the NRA, any group that, you know, has to is ha, feels like their whatever their issue is is under attack ends up getting you know more membership when some there is an actual threat right mm-hmm. now. The question is for is the NRA really making it seem like there's a threat when there's not in order to get their membership excited? That's a different question, but that's you know not unusual for nonprofit you know advocacy groups to kind of have that boom and bust in their um, fundraising and engagement anyway. So, but it's still, it's still pretty interesting. And again, remember 6% of the country, NRA members and gun owners. I mean, not, you know, the sort of massive, uh, massive, you know, majority, silent majority that, um, but really a very small group, which makes sense when you see the numbers about 90% of people who, you know, support things like stronger background checks. Um, so, um, so anyway, we're going to link to all this stuff in the, uh, show notes and folks to take a look at. I mean, the one thing too, I'll also add, and this will be in the piece that's going to be up on the hill is, um, you know, when talking about the NRA, I think, you know, this like the NRA gives X and, you know, so-and-so took Y dollars. You're right. That's like, it's, it is a little, it's a shorthand. And I think it may be a little bit 
oversimplified because there are folks who are favorable to the NRA, even if they're not necessarily gun owners who are members. The NRA, we've talked about this show overall in the country has comparable favorabilities to Planned Parenthood. You know, they are, you know, not unpopular. Um, and I don't believe that members who support Planned Parenthood's priorities do so because Planned Parenthood wrote them a check. I think that, I, I think the causality arrow points right. the other direction. Right, right. Um, right. That's, a, that's also true. And, but I think, you know, for talking about the NRA as a, as a message and how do you, you know, get folks who support stronger gun laws to kind of, you know, get involved. Um, it's saying well, you have to give permi- people permission to have set, to have been favorable toward the group in the past. The NRA lost its way. They used to support background checks. Now they're the biggest donor to Donald Trump. So, you know, it, it the NRA made itself too political. You're not politicizing the NRA. The NRA became political. So that I, that's, I think, more compelling than, you know, look at this dollar amount. It's, it's the dollar amount is part of a story. It's not the beginning, middle, and end of a story. Yeah. So that's from, from a data perspective, that was one thing that I thought. Oh, um, we should flag that up. Yes. No, I think you're right. And then, you know, the one other thing is Harry Enton had a piece on 538 about. Oh, this was cool. About the U.S. never being so polarized on guns, and so this is you know he tracks oh, the I'm pew. At the wrong chart. Sorry, <laughs> it might be they're cool, Harry. Hang on, I'm they're all very on. cool. <laughs> it's all cool, and so um, it's uh he tracks pew data and by party on um you know this this uh two point you know kind of either or question that pew's been asking for a long time, and he finds that Democrats have been kind of the same for a long time, but Republicans have become more partisan, so there's now more divergence. Now again. This is a pattern we see on all kinds of issues where there used to be more partisan agreement. Now, you know, the two lines have gone in opposite directions. You know, it almost doesn't, I mean, on a zillion issues, this is one of them. Um, and I don't doubt that this pattern is true, but I do want to flag, this is the question that I have a beef with that Pew's been asking, and I appreciate that Pew's been asking it for 20 or 30 years, and so they want to have that tracking. But it's, you know, do you support, here, where's the language? Do you support, um, do you think the U.S. should prioritize protecting gun rights or controlling gun ownership? And that controlling gun ownership is like full on nails on a chalkboard for me because that's just about the means. It's not about the end. It's not about reducing Gun deaths. When you ask it that way, which I've done and we did in the gun standpoint, it's a completely different result because, you know, then you're asking people to choose to do different things. When you're just talking about controlling gun ownership, like for its own sake, people are like, well, you know, no, I want to protect gun rights. But actually, if you're talking about why are we doing this, we're doing this because we want to reduce gun deaths, then you have a different response. Plus, the word control, it's not gun control, it's stronger gun laws. We don't have car control or alcohol control. Anyway, so those are, those are my variety of gun rants for the day. So I was, you know, I was about like, I mean, I I did send an angry tweet to Doug Schoen, but you know, there are a variety of other people who are friends who I was like going to sort of engage on their Facebook page. I'm like, no, I need, I should not do this. I just should like write an article. Save like, it for the show. <laughs> I should not just show. like, just start going rogue on social with like my peeps. That would be wrong. So anyway, okay. Man, <laughs> now I need to like All right, let's drink some to, like honey water, like a more, hot toddy. Some more Democrat on Democrat warfare. Yeah, okay, well, guess, right. Oh yes, yeah, I'm, I'm generously considering counting Doug Schoen as Democrat. Uh, let's talk about that whole Stan Greenberg. Okay, so thing. this was really interesting. So you know, very often my husband, who 
works in politics as well, will like say something like, hey, did you see that poll that shows whatever? And I always have seen it. Um, and I joke every time, like, can't stump the pollsters. <laughs> like, you can't stump the pollsters. Of course I've seen that. I talked about it on the show. Do you not listen to the show? We talked about it three weeks ago. And uh, so that's like our common, you know, just a very, you know, fun joke around the house, right? And so he went out with this, his consultant bros the other night and came home and said, everyone was talking about that Stan Greenberg article. I'm like, oh, what Stan Greenberg article? It's like the one why she lost. I'm like, I cannot believe you stumped the pollsters and I did not see this. <laughs> like, how did I not see this? And we put it on our feed and it is, it was unusual in that it got a zillion clicks and like no comments. And so that like, <laughs> so that I found it, it, both on Twitter and on Facebook. So it was unusual that like, cause I mean, there've been a lot of uh, intra-party fights, Bernie versus Clinton. Like I wrote about that a couple weeks ago, like that that's an activist thing. That's not really where voters are. Voters aren't as divided on the democratic side as like sort of your Facebook feed might lead you to believe. Um, and so, so it's not unusual for somebody to say somewhere like something critical about the Clinton campaign or something critical about the Bernie campaign or what have you. Um, but still, I was surprised that there was not like, I mean, people are clearly talking about this behind the scenes, but not necessarily on social. So it's interesting in that he's, you know, a very much, it, it is quite a condemnation of how polling was used in the Clinton campaign. Steve Shepard, who we know listens, hello, um, you know, wrote a follow-up piece. We're interviewing some people on and off the record about it. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things, which I think we've talked about this before, is how do you distinguish, certainly we get asked this a lot before, between big data and polling, right? And that, you know, polling... They are not the same. Polling is little data. Right. Right. And, you know, big data is big data. And so polling is, you know... Tip message polling in particular, you know, longer surveys that are, have smaller sample size, so more depth rather than breadth. And while analytics surveys will have like, here are the four questions that we have modeled to be the biggest drivers of whatever our dependent variable is, and we ask them of, of a zillion people. And, you know, they're both useful tools. It is, you know, far from clear that one is better than the other. And I think what the Stan article suggests and the follow-up from Steve suggests that, you know, there wasn't enough of the deeper dive closer to the election and that you may miss some things if you've already made some decisions about what short questionnaire you want to use for analytics, you may miss some other kinds of indicators. I think it also raises the question of, you know, at that point in time in the, at, at what point in time in the race do you decide our message is locked in? We're going to say what we're going to say. This is our, this is our message. It is what it is. And there's no point in continuing to noodle over it. Like we, we have, we have, it, it is out. The, right. the car is rolling down the tracks. And I think that seems to be what the Clinton campaign, based on this Greenberg piece, had sort of decided, right? Like, we did all our focus grouping. We did all our message testing. We're a couple weeks out from Election Day. We've got our slogan. We've got our message. Yeah. We're just going with it. So all we need to do at this point is the analytics stuff to make decisions about what states does she fly to or whatever, which conservatives love the joke about, like – so and so, well, they've done that more times than Hillary Clinton went to Wisconsin. Right, That's right, like right. a morbid, you know. But th so I, I, yeah. I kind of get why a campaign would make this decision. And I'm not just saying this because I'm part of a uh, conservative lady cabal where there are a number of like undercover Robbie Mook fans. <laughs> it's like 
where we're all like, no, be nice to Robbie. <laughs> Don't be mean to him. I mean, you know, we're it, a strange bunch. <laughs> it's it's easy. I mean, look, it's very easy to it's easy to kind of you know second guess some of these decisions, and I, you know, I also hear and acknowledge Stan's point that you you know want to make sure you're not missing anything. On the other hand, right, you're right. I mean, you know, and you get the you get you do get the perception that there was a lot of you know noodling in the messaging from different points, and is that being flexible and nimble with the involving political climate or is it a sign of you know not having a crispness or a sharpness compared to make america great again um i think the the headline that comes out of the greenberg piece though is the clinton campaign stopped polling in swing states right before election day and that's that's not true right it depends on your definition of polling if your definition of polling is deep dives, individual polls into yeah. individual states that go, okay, I called N of 400 Michigan voters and here's where they stand. But that is not necessarily the best. Way. I mean, yeah. that the analytics polls, you're asking a very short questionnaire of a lot of people. I was surprised to see that they weren't doing state-specific work, that they were doing this like swap. I, if I'm reading this right, they did like a swath of battleground states. Mm-hmm. Instead of individual states, but you can also just model the individual state results from that broader, like it doesn't really matter. At any rate, it leads you to believe that there was nothing being done to monitor what was going on in these states. And that does not seem to be true. It just depends on your definition of polling. Right. And, you know, are people too quick, and I don't know the answer to this question, but are people too quick to, you know, credit analytics for Obama's win and blame analytics for Clinton's loss. Yes. I think the answer, I mean, you know, I think probably, I think it's probably, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and why is that? I mean, is it because it's some like new gizmo that people find interesting? I don't know. Is it because, you know, that's why everybody thinks that Cambridge Analytica is like magic sauce won Trump the election, even though they didn't even actually use the, whatever. This is my, (laughs) nope. That's not, tune in next week for Kristen's rank. This is, this week is Margie in YOLO mode. Margie and Stan Greenberg in YOLO mode. One day you'll get Kristen back in YOLO mode. It'll come again. I mean, my YOLO mode is, you know, really just criticizes Doug Schoen as well. Everybody else's YOLO mode goes after quite a few more people. Stan Greenberg's YOLO mode is amazing. Amazing to behold. I feel like my YOLO mode is still ultimately pretty tepid. Um, but they are, they are super interesting. I mean, look, you know, we should have Stan on the show. I mean, we should have Stan on the show to talk about this article and, and we've had Anna on the show and, you know, I, I have incredible respect for Stan and I, you know, I think that he has, he has, you know, he talks about his focus on the message around working class and that's something he's talked about for a long time. So I think this is consistent with things that Stan has been saying and writing about for a long, long time. Okay. Um, I think this is related to something that we were going to talk about a little later in the show, but I think is actually very relevant now. Do campaigns the, matter in any? Do uh, campaigns matter matter in any way, uh, shape, yeah, this or form? Has also, been bouncing around so part, my world. Part of why this has been bouncing around our world, I think, is the subject matter, and I think that part of why it's been bouncing around my world is because of the authors of the study. So this is a study coming from two. Um, uh, David, I'm going to mispronounce his name. It's spelled Brookman, but I think it's pronounced Brockman. Hmm. All right. Listeners, okay. tweet at us. I've, I've just committed a 
committed a foul in political science land. Hey, we're um, self-produced. And Josh Callis. So these are our... These two guys had been on my radar in part because you remember like a year or two ago, there was that whole thing about, oh, there was a study and it showed that this is how you go and persuade people on gay marriage. On gay marriage. Yeah. And it turned out that the whole study had yeah. been like made up and they, it was these two grad students who like figured out that something was up. And it was these guys? These are the guys that figured no out something way. was up. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, oh, it's the same. They're like, it's the same duo. Huh. Um, so at any rate, they have now done a study that basically finds uh, campaigns don't change minds. That's yeah. the sh- that's the super short tweet pre Twitter changing to 280 characters. So conversion. so here, I mean, so there are a couple things about this that I think are important to know. One, it's a meta analysis, so it's like looks at a variety of different studies as opposed to being primary research, if I understand correctly. And you know, it's persuasion rather than turnout, right? So this is you know, if you read deeper into these articles, you'll see this is not you know, it says changing minds harder you know, reminding your base, getting your base excited to go vote, that's a separate conversation, right? So if you work in campaign mode, you'll you'll hear people talk about, you know, persuasion versus uh, versus get out the vote versus GOTV versus turnout, you know, getting your base turnout. And obviously those things sometimes, sometimes they work across purposes and sometimes those things are related, right? And um, it's not like you could just press a button like, I'd like to order more persuasion or I'd like to order more, you know, turnout. Um, and persuasion being of the people who are sort of in the middle, right? Um, sometimes the messages that work with one group don't work at all with the other group. So, so these are the calculations that campaigns make. Um, you know, I would, I would look at this or think about this also in terms of the kinds of contact and persuasion that people make and, um, and folks, you know, tweet us your opinions about this too, but you know, there's, Political persuasion advertising is, you know, is not like advertising for, you know, Coca-Cola where you have like a zillion years of advertising that you're sort of slowly building on. I mean, this we're talking about, you know, often very low budgets run over a shorter period of time, you know, that – I'm not surprised that the effect recedes after a while, right? So, th- so there's a little bit of – so there's a little bit of that. And then – you know, and I guess what is the lesson for this, right? I mean, are people taking the lesson for this and say, from the study and saying, well, why do we do, why do we do anything? You know, why do we do anything? Right. I mean, that's somebody who I spoke to who heard about this study. They're like, I heard that we shouldn't be, none of it matters that we shouldn't be doing anything. And I remember, you know, hearing people after, you know, waves where Democrats lost, I had a friend of mine said, you know, maybe we should just have done nothing at all. Like what if we had done absolutely nothing, you know, then what would have happened? Maybe we would have had the same result. And, you know, this article I think is like, it kind of scratches at people's worst fears, people who work in this, that there's like literally nothing you can do. I I don't know if it, I I feel like that's a little apocalyptic. Well, I think there's also, there is a difference between, there is evidence that campaigns don't matter, and there is no evidence that campaigns do matter. Those are actually two different statements, mm-hmm. right? Like, especially mm-hmm. like academically. Mm-hmm. The, the, and, and they even say, our argument is not that campaigns do not influence general elections anyway, but that the direct persuasive effects of their voter contact and advertising are essentially zero. That the the evidence does not show that people's minds change, um, is different than like, there's evidence that 
you tell there's evidence that you can tell someone something and they just always reject. I mean, it's, I think right. it's important to, this is a rejecting the null hypothesis, right? The null hypothesis is that there is no evidence of a relationship. And right. so what you're trying to do is reject that there is no evidence by right. saying, look, it, it's not possible that there's yeah. no evidence because blah, blah, blah. So I, I guess that is my message to those uh, campaign folks out there. You might matter. Especially you do matter on turnout. You for sure matter on turnout. Um, but the, I think the idea that you can isolate, okay, I ran an ad and now I can study and understand how many people's minds were changed with that ad. That's just incredibly hard to do. But I think nobody wants to be the guy that's or gal that says, you know what? Okay, fine. No ads. We'll just let my opponent run ads. Right. I think you and I have sat in enough focus groups where people recall things from ads. And it may not be that those ads changed their mind. It may be that those ads were just reinforcing something else they already believed from the media. But it's not as though the way people think and talk about a race is never changed by the persuasive things. Their vote may have been the same in the absence of it. I mean, I did a focus group in Des Moines right before the election. Joni Ernst versus Bruce Braley, I think his name was. And – um. And they barely, you know, the folks in that room barely knew, you know, which party was in charge of the Senate or who were the leaders in the House and the Senate of each party. All they knew was Joni Ernst had castrated some, you know, hogs. And yep. that was from an ad, okay? They didn't that was like very clearly ad recall. And I think and, it's fair to ask, did the fact that they recalled that Joni Ernst castrated some pigs, did that change their vote It at might all? have, because I think it made her seem pretty accessible. At least they knew, they, at least they knew something about her in a way that was, you know, not political, right? Um, so, you know, is that why she's in the Senate today? I don't know, but it's, you know, but it, it's, it's possible that that contributed, right? So it may depend on the, the content then that you can't, and, and I have not dug into the study, so I'm not going to criticize it or praise yeah. it or what have you yeah. on, on those grounds. Um, but, but there's a lot of also very like mediocre, like the other thing too, if there's I'm, a lot of bad since if I'm going on a rant, okay, there's a lot of, you know, YOLO Margie, <laughs> YOLO Margie. there's a lot of media ad television, you know, political ads out there, you know, they have low budgets, they're crammed with facts, they're crammed with, you know, the best messages from their polls. And, you know, you don't really remember what the what the story is, you don't remember, you know, there's nothing to really sink your teeth into. And, you know, you may just like, you know, belch out a couple, you know, a couple talking points in your ad and then lament that people don't remember it three months later. I mean, you know, you got to connect a little bit more with that with voters and tell a little bit of a story because you're competing against like, you know, zillion dollar ad budgets. Um, and that's, you know, particularly true now. I mean, the other tension that people have when they think about um, political ads, and you see this a little bit reflected in some of the findings here, is that stuff that, you know, persuasion that happens early may not stick. That's one of our other conclusions. And this is a tension that folks have a lot in campaigns. Like, do you go up early before every person running for office in that media market goes up on the air? Or do you wait until later so then you can be on the air at a higher point level? You have more television ads that people are more likely to see an ad per person, but you may have to f compete with people running for all the down ballot statewide in your area, you know, a couple congressional races, a Senate race, whatever. Um, if you go on the air in July, maybe you have all the airtime to yourself, but maybe that persuasion, according to this article, may not it erodes. It yeah, goes away. It goes away because people don't remember it come November. Yeah, this and this I think is an outgrowth of that book, The Gamble, 
the Lynn Vavrick and John mm-hmm. Sides book that looked at the 2012 campaign because the conventional wisdom was, oh, you know, the Romney campaign, they got beat because the Obama team went up on air early with ads saying that Obama was this horrible, horrible, mean, rich businessman who was going to steal from the poor and that baked in the belief right, right, about right. him. And they're, in a way, I, I believe the conclusion of their book was that like, yeah, people's attitudes on that race were baked in pretty early, but like ad ad barrages were not moving people one way or the other. Right. So it was sort of the precursor of the yeah campaigns. Your your individual ad like d- is not the thing that is going to change the shape of the That's race. That's right. That's right. And you know, I mean, look, the races in Virginia and Maryland are changing, so we don't need to spend too much time on it, but there was some two, two new polls out this week. So, you yeah, know, let's just could, talk about the Virginia one real quick. I think that's very well be it most uh, you know, the, the that one is the one where I have now started to see on Twitter people posting when they get their mailers. From, oh, yeah, that's, by, that's by, always fun. By, well, Liam Donovan, one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter, he posted that he was laughing. He's like, I must have gotten flagged as like a, a, a squishy rhino. I got the rhino mailer because it's like a, you know, Ed Gillespie is a thoughtful Effect, you know, thoughtful, compassionate conservative, you know, is like that's his mailer. He's, he's not getting the he's, MS-13. He's not getting the MS-13 mailers. Uh, like, uh, they, they, people are coming across the border to take your daughter. Right. Like, they, he's not Virginia doesn't have sanctuary cities, but get man anyway. Um, uh, so it, it's, you've already begun to see ad techniques are now being deployed in the mail, on the airwaves. And at the moment, according, as of, uh, gosh, was it this morning? Yeah. This is the, this is the fresh... Piping hot, fresh data. Yeah. Um, this is, a, I assume, Washington Post. Yep. And they find Northam up 53 to 40 with Cliff Hyra, the libertarian candidate, at four. Yeah. And that's a wider lead than the other public polling has shown. So that that's part of what's made it made it kind of newsworthy. You know, the Maryland governor's race showed Hogan under 50. That made news because that's, you know, he's popular – you had more Democrats saying that they thought he was doing a good job as governor, but fewer – that doesn't mean they were all voting for him. So their Democrats are like, he's okay, but I'm going to vote for one of these other folks Partition instead. Partnership rules everything around me. So that's the Maryland governor's race. But that's not a Washington Post poll, but it was in the Post. Okay, so what the heck is this Boyfriend Week poll? Because I, like, looked at this and I'm like, wait a minute. How do you <laughs> – If I had a boyfriend after the show, I would no longer have that boyfriend. So I – um, you know – well, there's, so there's like the National Today or National Day website where like every, you know, we've talked about this before, like today's Coconut Day, today's Coffee Day, today's National Boyfriend Day. So there's like a day every day. There's like some kind of day and it's just like a way to, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know who came up with this glorious trove of, you know, data nuggets and fun tweets. But um, they occasionally, somebody over there, whose name I forgot, but she's given herself a high five, knows enough to send this. Or maybe she's just, maybe it's just like a broken clock is right twice a day. Like this is the finally, like someone sends us like an on point email pitch. Um, and it's to, to, you know, occasionally someone will do a poll around whatever the national day is that day. And so like we had the coconut day one from a few weeks ago. Um, and so now there's one for national Boyfriend Day, and it's like in all caps, like 84% of Americans with boyfriends plan to celebrate, and like, that just seems a little high. 84% of Americans <laughs> with boyfriends plan to celebrate a holiday that no one has ever heard of before. 
I know. I I just <laughs> and then how are you going to celebrate National Boyfriend Day? Which is like really funny. Cook dinner for their boyfriend. Plan a fun date. Buy my boyfriend a present. I mean, come on. And you know, I don't think ten percent of Americans with boyfriends plans on celebrating Boyfriend Day by buying their boyfriends a present. Netflix marathon with my boyfriend or watch sports with my boyfriend. I got a sad four percent. Now, people are only willing to go so far for the oh, boyfriends. Oh, That's where they draw the line. I, I also have some questions here. With um, it's a sam- this is a sampling issue, Margie. So, you know, how are we defining the crosstab of? It says twenty two percent of Americans with boyfriends will change their relationship status. Yeah, that, okay. I know that doesn't make so any sense. So they currently have boyfriends, but then it says ten percent say they're planning to ask that special boy to make it official on National Boyfriend Day. But then you, by definition, would not be in that crosstab. Yeah. Of people- while another 12% will ask their boyfriend to marry them. Yes, 12% of, of people out there are women proposing to men on National Boyfriend Day. I totally believe it. I mean, there could be some men proposing to their boyfriends on National Boyfriend Day, you know, but But 12% either way, of people with low. boyfriends it's are proposing low. on this holiday that doesn't exist? No, it's low. It's low. It, I apologize. It, it, I did not mean to be heterosexual. It's okay. I mean, we, I'm just he, astonished. Kristen is also I'm, angry today, guys. angry. <laughs> I just have a lot of questions. You know, it's like, let's just, I just have a lot of questions. Let's just celebrate National Boyfriend Day, you know, the way it's meant to. <laughs> okay. Um, our key findings from this week. Not only do we now need to break everything out by party, I guess we need to look at polling among different kinds of Republicans. And boyfriend status. And boyfriend status. Meanwhile, with all the tough news out there, Margie, that's me, getting a little ragey at different kinds of Democrats. Maybe I need to go in YOLO mode since that's a thing right now. And I admit it, I don't trust the polls. I don't believe, like Kristen, I don't believe 10% of people with boyfriends bought a gift to celebrate National Boyfriend Day. Hashtag fake news. Hashtag fake news. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters individually at at Margie O'Mero and at Soltis Anderson. We're at www.thepolsters.com and on Facebook where you can find links to all of the polls we might be talking about on our next show. Thanks. Bye.